It's Tuesday, June 15th. I'm Guy Adami. I'm always joined by my dear friend, Dan Nathan, for the macro setup this week brought to you by Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads, and knockouts. We're going to be joined later by Christopher Vecchio, senior FX strategist from Daily FX. Dan Nathan, how are you? I'm doing well, Guy Adami. Listen, this is a big week for you. This is a week it is. I think, it, that, usually, up, man. that usually triggers you because it's dot plot week. It's dot plot. And there's no, there's not a dot that you appreciate more than the ones that the Federal Reserve plots. Is that the fact or no? You're just trying to uh, trigger me. End up beautiful day. Gonna have, got me yesterday, Paul Jones, if you recall. Because he was talking my language. Now, I know that he cut his teeth in the commodities world. And to a certain extent, he's talking his book, which is okay. But look at what PTJ, as we used to call him back in the day, said yesterday, Dan. I know that might have triggered you, quite frankly. Maybe he's one of these. What do you call that? What's that phrase you're using? I don't know. But but here's the, <laughs> here's, here's the point, Guy. I mean, listen. The guy's a legend, right? And, and you and I talked about it a little yesterday on, on Fast Money, but n- now with a little time to kind of reflect, I, I missed one of the quotes from the interview. He said that things are kind of batshit crazy right now oh, as he thinks about say that. fiscal and monetary policy. Well, he said it on TV yesterday. Yeah. I, I think we can repeat it. You know, what, what I find really interesting, though, is that, you know, these folks, a lot of these people have come out and talked about like this witch's brew, as you like to call it, with all this kind of macro stuff going on that we've never seen before. They're, they're saying, well, listen, you know, if you compare this to like, you know, what we've been looking at over the last four years, but that's the point. It's like the last 40 years, take that playbook and throw it out, right? Yeah, I, apparently. I mean, there's a new paradigm. Everything, every, nothing really matters, but you know, Kyle Bass was on the network earlier today talking about real inflation is, in his opinion, uh, given negative real yields, is probably closer to 12 percent. So there are a lot of people stoking these fires right now. And listen, it's neither here nor there because the market's the ultimate arbiter and the ultimate judge. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're going to go to the S&P 500 chart, Dan. I mean, right now we're within a whisper if we're not there already at an all-time high. So the S&P clearly doesn't care about any of this stuff. And Quite frankly, if the S&P doesn't care, we shouldn't either to a certain extent, because what we're here to do is tasked with is trying to figure out where the market's going to go. So we can talk macro all we want. And I think it's really interesting, but we have to be mindful that the broader market is the ultimate judge and jury. Yeah, so you talk about the new highs in the S&P 500. We've been consolidating here. We've held that uptrend from the November lows. I'll just make one point. I mean, Tudor Jones said he's all in on the inflation trade. B of A, Bank of America had a um, survey out, um, fund manager survey, where 72% of the people that were asked the question believe that inflation is transitory. So if the fund management community believes that, then they believe the Fed and the Fed is going to be patient here. They don't feel the need to raise rates, so they're going to remain on this easy monetary path, and that is obviously good for stocks. You've seen volatility grind down. We saw the mm-hmm. VIX trade 15 and a half, I think, on Friday, up a little bit yesterday. That's not a great setup if you think about it. I know that you know you think that we're going to test that uptrend in the S&P 500 and possibly 3785, which is the 200-day moving average, which is just hasn't even sniffed in a year or so. There would have to be an about face on Fed policy and some serious um, you know, serious uh, deceleration in earnings growth or the outlook. And, and ironically, Guy, if corporate America's outlook changes, it's going to be because of inflation and the Fed's not listening. 
Yeah, no, and, and that listen, that's the point. And this trend line, this is a great trend line that you drew. It's the one we look at seemingly every week, and it's intact without question. It's tested it recently, but it bounced right off it in a very meaningful way. To your point, the 200 moving day average is, you know, we haven't seen it in a year. And in terms of just mean revision type of thing or mean reversion, I should say, yeah. you know, we're sort of at the outer end of the spectrum in terms of how long it's been since we've been there. Again, I'll submit we're going to test that uptrend line that probably comes in somewhere around 4180-ish. Yeah. And then I think the 3780, 3790 levels in the crosshairs. But the next chart we have to look at because it goes part and parcel is the NDX, Dan. And this is one that you've been all over. And again, same type of trend line, a little bit different in terms of the 200-day moving average, which we haven't seen in longer than a year. But the setup is eerily similar. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, the top in the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Nasdaq 100 is back in February. That also coincides with the high in in the ten year U.S. Treasury yield. Um, they did get back in April, consolidated, kind of hit that uptrend, but we're breaking out new all time high um, yesterday, and and that trend line is a force to be reckoned with. Obviously, much closer to its two hundred day uh, moving average down there at twelve thousand. 700 or so. Um, but listen, I think you have a rotation in hand right now back into mega cap tech and maybe some of these secular growth names that got hit really hard. So I would expect if we're going to see a breakout in the broad market, the NASDAQ leaders are going to be the ones that do it. But let's go to the Russell 2000 guy, because we know that the Russell small caps really heavily weighted towards um, some cyclicals and, and banks and, and financials in general, you know, had that massive outperformance since we got the news of the vaccines and, and the election in early November. But we've seen a consolidation. I know that Chris Vecchio has a great chart later. Here's our simple chart, because we're just we're simple people here. Right, guy? Yeah, um, like but, the Leonard Skinner song, which yeah. I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, no doubt. But but like, interestingly, this consolidation over the last four months or so, um, you know, we've seen some of the trades, some of these more GDP sensitive trades over the last few months kind of cool out a little bit here. And I think that's what's reflected in this um, Russell 2000 chart. right? Yeah, here. no question. We're going to we're going <laughs> to look at the 10 year in a second, but I'll, I'll leave this up just to talk to it, because I think what the Russell's trying to do is figure out what 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 interest rate, what 10-year yield works for the Russell? And, and I think, you know, this sideways action coincided with the big move up to 177 in the 10-year, the subsequent move down to 145, the move back to 165. And that's what the Russell's been doing is trying to figure out where do we want the 10-year yield to be? My sense is the the sweet spot for the Russell is somewhere between 1.4 and 1.45 in the 10-year. And quite frankly, Dan, given what's going on, you might actually get it. I think if you get a 1-4 in the 10-year, which is our next chart, you probably see the Russell breakout to the upside. That's the way I interpret this. How do you look at the 10-year and how do you look at it and compare it to the Russell? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, <clears throat> until we saw that breakdown of the May lows just last week, um, you know, it looked like a, a pretty much like a sideways consolidation drawn this way. And I was looking at uh, Tom Lee's um, drawing in his weekly um, the other day, and you know, you see a pretty clear downtrend here. So, might you have a move back towards the upper bound of this downtrend that would put you just above 1.6 percent? I'll tell you this if rates go quickly back up to 1.6, you're going to have a chorus of people calling for new highs, right? And possibly towards that 2% target, which a lot of people have by year end. I think you have it by year end. Yeah, I'm going to be one of them for sure. And I, I have not abandoned that camp, by the way. And the numbers that came out this morning did nothing to dissuade me from those views. And we'll see. And again, 
I'll just sort of echo some of the things that Kyle Bass is saying. And this is not getting, I want to go down too far this rabbit hole, but he's saying the wealth gap in this country is only being exacerbated by the Fed policies, which is something I've said seemingly for the last year, year and a half. And I'm not suggesting he listens to me, but a lot of people seem to be in that side of the camp. That will lead to social unrest, he mentioned, and we'll see what happens in terms of markets. But the 10-year yield, listen, that little downtrend is intact, bounced off 142, 143. I think it does trade up to the upper end of the spectrum, and we'll see what happens if when we get there. But you can't look at yields without looking at the dollar. And for whatever reason, the dollar continues to hold in there. Sort of that 88 and a half, 89 level in the DXY holds firm, and we're bouncing yet again, still in this downtrend. But you know what? It's holding serve, as they say, for you tennis players out there. Yeah, it's holding serve, guy, but it seems like every time it gets in and around this 90 level in the Dixie, it wants to bounce here. That 200-day moving average is 91.5. We know that the April, early April high was about 93.5. So, you know, to me, if you were to see rates kind of um, rise a little bit, I suspect you see the dollar rising this time, but it, it really feels like it wants to bounce here. If it can't get much of a bounce, then you might get your, your wish. You might see a break of this recent support in 2021 and then a move back towards those five-year lows near 88. But the dollar is going to be really important. It's been acting very differently than rates um, for, for the better part of this rate rally, if you will, since last summer. Um, all right, guys, the last point on the Paul Tudor Jones stuff, he's all in on the inflation trade. We got to hit gold. I know we're going to hit it again with Chris later here. Um, gold had been in that downtrend from those all-time highs made last August here. Um, you know, the breakout was pretty interesting last May. It finally came, or this last May, I mean, last month in mm -hmm. May. Um, mm -hmm. And it happened when Bitcoin got cut in half, right? So digital gold got cut in half after a huge ramp. And that finally gave gold a bid. I would say if you look at that chart and you look at that downtrend, you look at the 200-day moving average right there at about 1840, that upper band of that downtrend is massive near-term technical support. Should be. Uh, you know, in, in this, in trader parlance, we call this sort of a back and fill. So it broke <clears> through <throat> that downtrend, had the little spike. We're retesting that downtrend channel, bouncing hopefully, in my opinion, off the 200 day, because I do think gold goes higher. And I'll stay again in the camp that we test last August's highs <clears throat> at some point this year. That's going to coincide again with my belief that the dollar is going to fail and maybe rates go higher. But that, you know, that's neither here nor there. I know Chris has a chart that he's going to bring up later. We'll see what views he shares. But I do think the gold uh, trade is intact. Obviously, you can't look at gold these days without looking at the next chart, Dan, and that's Bitcoin. That is the Bitcoin guy. A lot of great news just in the last like 48 hours. Elon Musk is doing his thing. He goes back and forth on it. He hates it. He loves it. He hates it. He loves it. If it's a better uh, energy consumption, maybe he loves it again. That's what he said on Sunday. That caused a bit of a rally. We know that uh, Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy, closed a bond deal for $500 million. He'd already done a convert deal earlier in the year. Um, the express use of those proceeds is to buy Bitcoin. They own probably 100,000 Bitcoin. He wants to buy more. They also filed a shelf to sell up to a billion dollars in equity, and they may use those proceeds to what, guy? Buy Bitcoin. Right. And, so, you know, yeah, well, yeah, I, would just say, I would just say, if it can't get through its 200-day moving average and that resistance at 42 
1,500 on all of that news, we're going to be retesting that kind of 30,000 level again. And we know there's an air pocket below there. So my point is a lot of good news, corporate buyers, Elon Musk might be back in the game of owning it, using it as a currency. Um, But Bitcoin, I think from a sentiment standpoint, it's going to be very interesting. And again, I think Paul Tudor Jones said he'd like to have 5% of his investable capital in Bitcoin. All good news. Let's see if it can break out here. I suspect it fails. That's well, that's the key, right? And uh, this goes part and parcel with what's been going on in gold. The move to the downside, gold rallied, Bitcoin's gotten off the mat a bit, gold is sort of stalled. I mean, we'll see what happens now, but you have to watch these two in parallel, whether you think they trade in unison or not. They clearly do based on these charts. Now, let's go, Dan, to our next headline because I think this is really interesting. I, you know, rarely do I use this word on our show, Fast Money. I've been doing the show, as you know, for the last 37 years. And I don't <laughs> yeah. think I've uttered, uttered because it's somewhat disingenuous. But you know what? Bloomberg out there talking about the world's bubbliest, I don't know if that's a word, housing market slash 2008 style warnings. Very interesting headline here, Dan Nathan. Yeah, no doubt. I think this is kind of backward looking. There's a lot of data as um, as it relates to new home sales and, and some mortgage application. I mean, the list goes on and on and on that says that that, that might have been a very unique supply demand dynamic having to do with relocations during the pandemic, the, the, the search for hard assets, that sort of thing. Interest rates are really low. Um, it might have been the last kind of bastion or the last like move for um, the housing market, in my opinion. Let's quickly go to the largest input, and that was lumber. And this was the chart that was freaking people out when you saw that breakout back in March, um, you know, above 1,000, and it went as high as 1,700 or so. Well, here we are back at 1,000. It's round trip. That whole move, I, we just put that up. You and I don't know jack about lumber, um, but we know that that was a little bit of a bubble and a bubble burst. It's back to the breakout level. So let's see if it can hold that 200-day moving average. Very important. I suspect you see 800 before you see 1,200 again. Um, but let's go to the XHB guy real quickly and, and tell me your thoughts here because you know this has been a very slow and steady. This is the uh, ETF of the home builders. We know there's, there's a lot of home improvement retailers involved in that too, um, but we're still well off that one-year uptrend and well off that 200-day moving average. And that just tells me when I look at the lumber, I see the ability for uh, more room to the downside in the XHB. No doubt about it. I mean, I look at this chart and I say 67 or thereabouts in the XHB is absolutely in the crosshairs and it's still going to maintain this uptrend we've seen since last summer. Very well-defined, to your point, very methodical uptrend. You know, the 200-day moving average comes in around 63 thereabouts. But I think if you're playing this, you know, 67 has to be in, in what, you know, in the betting parlance, once again, uh, 67 has to be somewhere in your trifecta or exact the boxes because that appears as to where we're going. And next, I think what we have to talk about, Dan, in my opinion, is Jamie Dimon. I mean, every time Jamie Dimon talks, you have to listen. And look at what he just said. I mean, this is another Bloomberg headline. Warns, warns a bigger trading revenue drop after COVID boom. I mean, that's not somebody talking their book. That's somebody dropping some truth bombs here, Dan Nathan. Yeah. I mean, listen, uh, like everything, and this is what 2021 and 2022 um, really is going to be the story of where we get back to pre-pandemic levels. We've seen these massive dislocations in almost everything. He's talking about one part of his business. He could have been talking about investment banking. You think after that SPAC boom and the IPO boom and all the stuff that went on, the refine, you, you think that the investment banking is going to be up year over year? No, it's going to be decelerating. They're going to be lower. So, you know, I find it pretty interesting. I love his transparency. Like you 
say. I think you have to listen um, when that guy is speaking here. Let's go to the JP Morgan chart. Really interesting because obviously a leader um, in its group to its peers um, and really had been outperforming this year just broke that uptrend from the November lows guy. I think it's worth noting, you know, down about six and a half percent in what feels like a straight line um, closed on its lows um, yesterday or so. Um, and then just I'll speak to the XLF. We know that it's the largest bank in the XLF. The XLF is held up a little bit. Berkshire is one of the largest holdings in there. What does that chart say to you, Guy? Because we were 24 right before the vaccines. We got as high as 39 or so, 38.60 just last week. What does the XLF mean to you? And then all the way down there, Guy, 30.64 is that 200-day moving average. That's a ways Yeah, away. which is, yeah, I mean, I, I listen, that's probably 20% or so from where we are-ish, if my math is right. And I, it, it feels as though, listen, if you think rates are going low, which I think you do, and if you think J.P. Morgan is the leader in, in terms of the financials, which I also believe that you do, J.P. Morgan broke that uptrend line. It appears as though the XLF is in the process of doing it. And things move pretty quickly to the downside once that's triggered. So a break of that trend line, and I think you got to start mm-hmm. thinking that 3031 in the XLF is a fait accompli for you Whoa. French majors. Yeah, like that in the, for you Whoa. French majors out <laughs> there. Uh, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can see this has had a huge rise, and a lot of this rise has obviously been predicated on the move. All the things you discussed, and oh, by the way, the move to the upside in rates. Right. But if rates stall... XLF comes off. Before we get to 3031, you're going to get to that $35 breakout level from April. You probably consolidate there. So let's not, you know, let's not freak the people out here. I'm All not right, trying to freak anybody I, out. I let's bring Chris Vecchio in here. Um, the senior strategist at Daily FX. He's got a lot better charts than we, than we have. He's going to get a bit more granular. Chris, great to have you here, man. Thanks so much for having me again, Dan and Guy. And I'd be remiss to say uh, that as we are here talking about markets, I'm actually fortunate enough to be out in the Hamptons right now. I'm you. getting in shape for my, you know, summer beach body. And I have to remind <laughs> everyone that we have the Nadex boot camp next week, June 22nd. Uh, I'll oh, be speaking cool. there. My colleague, Mike Boutros, as well as uh, Todd Rich, uh, Dan Cook, we'll have many other guests as well. So starting at 11 a.m. Eastern, Nadex boot camp, get in shape for the summer trading conditions. Look Sweet. at you dropping advertisements. I love it. Maybe do some push-ups in the middle of that, Chris Vecchio. Well, you heard what Dan and I had to say. And I know, listen, I know your first chart you want to look at. We mentioned gold. You have a gold chart. Can you speak to us as what you're looking at here? Because, you know, quite frankly, your chart's a lot sexier than ours is. Understandable. I mean, what you said before, though, about back and fill is exactly where my head is right now. And it's so interesting as well that while we're seeing this Bitcoin move up, the traditional gold is coming down. There seems to have been this exchange over the last month that as Bitcoin has fallen, gold has regained some favor. So if we're of the mindset that gold looks like it's still technically strong, I then do think that we have to have somewhat of a bearish bias towards Bitcoin. Now, gold could be the canary in the coal mine for the Fed meeting to an extent. Uh, This is a very interest rate sensitive asset. And as U.S. yields have moved up, it's occurred in context of those inflation metrics coming down, commodity prices are coming off. And so the churn has been higher real yields. Higher real yields are bad for gold. And if we see that continue after tomorrow, gold could be in peril. So the, the, the number I'm looking at is 1837. If we're below mm-hmm. 1837 uh, by the end of this month, then that imperils the progress towards that all-time high once more. Yeah, I kind of feel similarly to you uh, there, Chris. And I feel like if it breaks below that upper band, 
of that uh, downtrend, I think it's going to be really hard to get out of there. And part of that reason is because Bitcoin might have found a bid and, and really, you know, you know what I mean? Like, so, so to me, I think they're, <clears throat> they're fairly well related. You know, Chris, we talked a lot about inflation um, in the lead up to you joining us here. And, you know, um, gold has obviously been that traditional inflation hedge um, for, for a long time. But one of the big um, inputs, well, just into the kind of inflation commentary um, is, and we haven't used this expression. We've been doing this now for 20 minutes. We haven't even mentioned transitory guy. We haven't mentioned that if any of these um, higher prices are going to be transitory, we know that's going to be top of mind for the Fed when we get um, you know some of the comments from them after their meeting. Um, but what do you think about crude oil here? And I know you brought a chart, and, and I think what's interesting is that we we showed you lumber. Um, you know, we know that that we're seeing some. Um, input costs come down for a lot of industrial companies or whatever, but this thing makes a new high every day. Talk to us about crude. Talk to us what you think about the supply demand dynamics are and whether we are likely to see that abate at some point um, if we start to see, you know, kind of just a slowing or a plateauing of the global economy a little bit in the near term. Sure. So a really interesting statistic here. If you go back over the last 30 years of uh, global oil consumption data and measure that against global GDP quarterly, uh, that's a correlation of 0.97. So if you think that the global economy is going to continue to move forth out of the pandemic, then you're also suggesting implicitly that demand for energy will be high. And I think that's exactly where we are. You have these supply chain constraints where OPEC plus is continuing to keep back oil production. And the fact that U.S. producers still can't come online just yet, it looks like that's going to be pushed out until 2022 or 2023, according to recent surveys. There is this near-term bottleneck right now. And continue, uh, you know, considering that we're in this very low-vol environment, you look at OVX or you look at Move or uh, VIX even, uh, you see that we're kind of normalizing into an equilibrium of just steady state grind higher. That natural float higher can be somewhat frustrating for traders because not a lot of action is coming. <laughs> which is why if I'm looking at this, I really think call spreads may be the way to play oil right now. Uh, insofar as we're still seeing this steady, slow grind higher, I don't know if we're going to get this big explosion in price to the top side. We have these headwinds like uh, Iran coming back in with their supply with the potential JCPOA coming in. So when I look at oil prices, this stands out from lumber. This stands away from copper. This is different than corn. Uh, there is a growth story here, not just a supply chain constraint bottleneck because of the pandemic. Yeah, you know, Chris, you mentioned, all right, call spreads. And, and I think that's really interesting because you also mentioned the low vol environment. And so what I would say is you, you, you mentioned that this slow move higher is really frustrating for traders. If you just own a call, you know, you're not getting the sort of sharp movements that, that actually make it worth owning that premium. And that's why I think those call spreads make a lot of sense selling that kind of upper um, band, whatever your target is, where you would sell that um, commodity or sell that call that you own to be, you know, actually selling a higher strike call makes a lot of sense and help offset some of that decay um, makes perfect sense. You know, Goldman, um, a couple months ago, I think they were out with an $80 crude call. People thought that seemed a bit aggressive. Well, here we are above 70. And now I think they're saying potentially 100. Where are some of your uh, longer term targets for crude? And I'll just say this, you know, crude obviously overshot when it went negative last year, right? To the downside, um, has the potential to overshoot to the upside. I just think structurally, though, the, uh, the, the play for long term higher crude doesn't make a ton of sense to me. You know, I actually have to disagree with that because I think there's a natural incentive for governments that are pushing for, you know, the greening of economies 
to increase the spread between uh, crude oil or energy, traditional energy and substitutes. Because as that spread widens, then the cost of transitioning for consumers is lower. Same thing for businesses. So yeah. I do think implicitly for the ESG world, they, they don't like oil prices, but having high oil prices will help that shift sooner because substitute goods will be that much cheaper. Okay. Um, so I think oil has a chance to go higher here and run higher. I, I do agree with Goldman. I think 80, 100, very much on the radar this year. All right. Keep rolling those call spreads then. That makes sense if you're if you're in with Chris Vecchio. All right, Chris, let's do copper really quickly before we get to some currency crosses here. That's a good looking chart. What is your uh, you know technical and fundamental take here? Uh, UGLY. We're starting to see a lot of technical damage set in. There are some idiosyncratic uh, political pressures in play due to what's happening in Chile with the mining sector there. And so this is not just simply a straight growth story anymore. Uh, I, I do think that if you're looking for a pure growth play, oil is a better proxy for that. But right now, the technical damage appears to be accumulating. We've just broken below uh, what was the former all-time high that we set at the end of February. We're beginning to pressure the uptrends that we've had throughout this year and going back to the bottom in the pandemic. So I'm concerned about copper here. And this may actually be something that if it does result in more weakness, it rolls into more weakness in the EMFX space. We see pairs or currencies like the Mexican peso, the Brazilian real, uh, even some of the Southeast Asian currencies come under pressure as the dollar regains more favor. And you know, to the point that you guys were making earlier about the dollar rebounding with U.S. yields, if corn's off, if wheat's off, if copper's off, uh, and we see a lot of these issues that are coming through in terms of higher prices appear to be transitory. And going through the retail sales report today, the numbers were pretty clear about the narrative. We're talking about motor vehicle parts down 3.7%, furniture minus 2.7%, electronics and appliance stores minus 3.4% in terms of spending. You know, We're starting to see that these higher prices are feeding into people's consumption trends. So that could allow real yields to rise. That's not great here for copper. So I'm open to more downside right now. It's been a favorite of mine for the last year, but that uh, luster is being lost. Well, where you really cut your teeth is in the currency crosses. And let's talk about a few. Um, look at it at the end first, and you can speak to this. Obviously, you heard what Dan and I said about dollar. You just mentioned it. Talk to us about this cross specifically. This, to me, is a coiling spring. I was terrible at physics in, in high school. I got, it was the only AP test that I got a three on. Um, nice. So I always kind of just try to bring physics into my real life. And so I see a coiling spring here, right? We're storing potential energy. As traders, we like to trade that kinetic energy outburst. And so... This, this funneling into the vertex of a potential uh, symmetrical triangle, ascending triangle, however you may want to draw it, it suggests that we have a big move coming. Now, dollar-yen is a very interest rate-sensitive pair. AGBs basically do nothing, so dollar-yen moves with U.S. Treasury yields. Uh, to that point, because we've seen this coiling here, I actually kind of like knockout options around the Fed meeting, because if we do see a break higher, I would think that it's going to have some significant follow-through. I don't necessarily like call spreads because if we do see a move again, I think it has a chance to run. And that means that we're going to lose on the other end of our mm -hmm. uh, there. So I do think a knockout option of play going into the Fed meeting may be appropriate around dollar yen. This to me can go either way, though. And if dollar yen is coming down, it means U.S. yields are falling out. And if it's going up, it probably means that U.S. Treasury yields are going up. And that has other implications for other asset classes like I love the correlation to yields. And obviously, the next cross we got to look at, I guess, is the pound because, you know, another very interesting chart, the very defined uptrend. But, you know, things might be sort of coming apart just a little bit here. Yeah. So, you know, we talk about low volatility that actually translates into clearly defined ranges for traders. And right now we've seen that this near term bull flag appears to be breaking down. So it may be the case that some put spreads are appropriate right now. I'm looking for price to fall down towards 139.40 or so. 
given the fact that we have just an equidistant measured move from the high-low range over the past few weeks, starting at the beginning of May. Uh, ultimately, the pound seems to be in pretty good shape, however. It's shaking off all of those Brexit concerns, this, that, about you know whether or not the UK would be able to rebound after the pandemic. They've had a really strong vaccination program. And so overall, the pound continuing to weather the storm, shaking off those weak hands. We've already made a big break above that descending trend line from the November 2000 and July 2014 highs. And so this may simply be the consolidation after that first initial breakout. This could be the start of the back and fill, Guy, as you've mentioned before about gold. Right. And the final chart we want to take a look at, obviously, you can't speak about the pound unless you then bring the euro up as well, Chris. Right. I mean, the euro is 57.6% of the dollar index. So we talk about the Fed meeting tomorrow. Euro dollar, dollar yen are the two ones that are front and center. And after breaking a long-term multi-decade trend line going back to the 2008 high, we seemingly have put in these subsequent flags, you know, steps higher, if you will. We make two steps forward, one step back. Overall, the technical structure remains sound for more gains. But if we do see ourselves below that 120, 120 figure, and we're kind of trading there right now, that's problematic. Tomorrow, there's a big $1 billion options expiry at 10 a.m. Eastern, right at that 121.15 figure. And that could be problematic heading into the Fed meeting. So I do think once the Fed comes, this, this wall of people who are waiting, they'll be removed. There's a big chance for volatility here. And this can go either way. So the flag speaks to bullish potential, but the technical momentum has started to turn. I, I do think we need to be open-minded on both sides for the time. Yeah, being. it's interesting. Uh, you know, whether he meant it or not, Paul Tudor Jones mentioned how important this Fed meeting is. We'll see if it comes to fruition in terms of what it does to these crosses, currencies, uh, and obviously commodities. Chris, thanks for joining us. Dan, you want to sort of take us out some parting words before I wrap it? Yeah, I think what you just said is really interesting. It seems like the expectations for something big to happen at this Fed meeting are growing. You know, Paul Tudor Jones said how important it is. So what does it mean if nothing actually happens, nothing actually changes, you know, when you have all these calls for how important this is? So, you know, to me, I suspect it's going to be a whole heck of a lot of nothing. That doesn't mean that we will not see volatility in all these different asset classes we just described. I know that um, Tom Lee mentioned in his note the other day that we have a quad witching expiration on Friday. He goes back and his data shows over the last year or two, he's seen um, a lot of volatility when it happens to be quad witching or a lot of chop in those weeks. Having a Fed meeting right in the middle um, certainly helps make the case for that. So check your stops, people. Um, Guy, it's been a pleasure. Chris Vecchio, it's been a pleasure. Take us out, buddy. I want to thank Chris Vecchio, Senior Currency Strategist at Daily FX. I also want to thank our presenting sponsor, Nadex, the leading U.S. exchange for binary options, call spreads. Get ready, Dan. And knockouts. Yes, they are. I'll <laughs> see you next week, Dan. All right. See you next week, bud.